Hey, good afternoon, evening, morning, whenever you're watching this, Monday, Tuesday, whatever. It's Monday in our world, so uh, welcome in on Monday after week three of the Missouri football season, a 59-28 win over Southeast Missouri. I'm Gabe DeArmond, Mitchell Forty, going to join me in just a minute to talk about it, but before we do... Want to remind you that this weekend recap every Monday is brought to you by True Sun Exteriors and Interiors. Voted the best of Columbia for home remodeling by Inside Columbia Magazine, a full service construction company. They'll do roof siding decks, four season rooms, additions, screen porches. It is fall. You can be outside in Missouri again at least relatively soon if you need a screened in porch they have a design team that can help you pick out all kinds of finishes for your remodel unlike the chuck and a truck companies they've been a mainstay in the columbia community for over a decade will stand by their work with a five-year labor warranty they are huge missouri tiger fans and we bring in mitchell 40 to talk about the missouri tigers now mitch for 50 minutes everything was great and uh, they were doing Decimo exactly what they should have been. It was a demolition, and then, oh, my God, everything is broken, and they're terrible again. What happened? Yeah, so, uh, you know, it, it, for, like you said, for most of the game, it went about as expected. I mean, Simo came in as a not very good FCS team, and Missouri made them look like that. They outgave them something like um, 458 to 69 in the first half. Uh, it was not never a close game, um, 38 to 0 at halftime. Um, and then, you know, Mizzou took out all of its starters at halftime and then took out most of its second teamers by the end of the third quarter. And, uh, you know, things got a little interesting. Um, I, you know, I, I know we're going to talk about that more. I will say, I think we always have a tendency um, in, in this position to respond to a vocal minority. And I think we're probably doing that more right now than ever, because I really don't think there's very many people that are working up that much, you know, legitimate angst based off of the fourth quarter of that game. I know there's some. But, uh, yeah, I know we'll talk about it more, so let's do that. Yeah, well, and my initial reaction was, and it hasn't changed that much, is it doesn't mean everything, but it also didn't mean nothing that SEMO was able to run for 185 yards and, and score 21 points in about 10 minutes. Um, I, here's what I think it meant, and, like, we knew this going in. Missouri's defense – not super great, and I don't think anybody should be convinced off the first three quarters yesterday that it is super great. Um, and also, the coaches are playing the best guys they have because the defense that isn't super great looked really not great in the last uh, last 10 minutes of that. Yeah, so I think that that's my biggest thing is anyone who is changing anything they thought or predicting based off yesterday that that's just not logical to me. You know, like you're, I'm not just like I'm not watching the first half and saying, oh my gosh, Missouri all of a sudden has a great defense and a great passing game and can never do anything wrong and Connor Baselight's going to throw for 600 yards a game. Like no, you wouldn't do that based on watching an FCS team. Just like in the second half, I'm not going to say all of a sudden, oh my gosh, Missouri can't stop. You know, an FCS team on the ground. Um, it does show that the one thing that I think, you know, yeah, you can make, take away from that that maybe you didn't know before is, like you said, if you were holding out hope that the coaching staff was, like, saving some freshman that they were going to unleash or something like that on the defense, at linebacker, wherever, that's not the case. The guys who are not playing on defense are not ready to play. Um, you know, I do, I do think Eli Drinkwitz made a good point yesterday. He, he basically said he wasn't worried about it at all. Someone asked him, are you worried about, you know, getting outscored in the second half? He said, not in the slightest. He said, look, those guys have been running the scout team defense 
every week. They would have had a better chance to run CMOS defense than our own. They, they haven't yeah. played it. Right. So I'm not worried at all. You know, just yeah. basically, though, obviously the, what you don't want is, you know, for them to suddenly have to play it because of injury. Well, and also the other thing is it, this is human nature. It sounds mm-hmm. great to come out in a 38 nothing game and pretend it's nothing nothing. And every coach says it and every coach wants his team to do it. But like I sat in the gym and watched Kim Anderson's teams fall behind by 30 and get back within like 12 and then the other team would go, uh, "I guess we'll try again." And it was like 22. <laughs> and if the other team wanted to focus on those 10 minutes where they lost 18 points off their lead, they could, but you play differently with a 52 to 7 lead than you do when it's 7 nothing in the first quarter. Um so the defense is obviously what everybody's talking about, the run defense and all that. By the way, Boston College had an almost identical game earlier this year. They gave up 21 points to UMass in like a 10-minute stretch, and I'm really not sure UMass is a better team than SEMO. Um, <laughs> I, I think that would be – that that might be a hell of a FCS, you know, uh, NIT game or whatever the whatever the non-playoffs Yeah, are. but UMass is actually FBS, which is Right, rough. which is unfortunate uh, for them. But, you know, everybody's focusing on the defense, but – Watching Missouri's offense in the first half, I, I legitimately thought, I think I tweeted this, I don't think Connor Bazelak has guys that open in practice. Like, I didn't learn anything about the defense. I also didn't really learn anything about the offense because he was standing back there making himself a sandwich and then tossing to receivers who were seven yards open. Yeah, for sure. And even some of the, you know, the, some of the bigger plays they had were plays where it's just like, oh, toss a little swing pass, let Chancellor do the rest, let Tyler Bain do the rest, you know, a little slant, let Jesse Esther do the rest. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, it was a total talent mismatch, which it should be. You know, that's what a decent team does against an FCS team. But, yeah, I don't think that's suddenly, you know, showing me anything. I get why people were excited to see some of the young receivers, you know, do some things. I mean, especially J.J. Esther, that's a guy who we've been hearing about now for months, and he, you know, never really seen it happen, but... My thought is, you know, if, if, if they were better than the guys in front of them, they would would have been out there, and the guys in front of them could not get open against Kentucky, at least down the field. You know, there were some – obviously, Mizzou was able to sustain some drives and hit some stuff underneath, but, you know, Tyler Beatty caught 10 of Basilax, well, I don't know, it's like 30 completions in that game. So I'm not – I'm also – I'm with you. I'm not all of a sudden going to say, oh, my gosh, Mizzou's super deep at receiver. Right, and it was good to see those guys make the plays they did. For sure. But let's be clear, that chance Looper touchdown – against probably even Boston College, but definitely against A&M and Arkansas, that's like a six-yard gain. The the J.J. Hester touchdown, he might be like knocked unconscious on that play <laughs> against an SEC team because the, the, the poor kid from SEMO took such a terrible angle at that. And again, credit to Macon, good throw. Credit to J.J. Hester for making the play and outrunning everybody. That was the game they were in. I'm just saying... Don't get fooled into thinking that play is that play in really any other game this year. Um, Before we move off this, because I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on SEMO, but just general impressions, Brady Cook and Tyler Macon. Yeah, both obviously played fine. Um, You know, Brady Cook, uh, four for four, never really – 
threw anything, you know, super risky. He had that one pass down the sideline to Messiah Swinson that was like, I don't know, 10 yards. Other than that, everything was uh, pretty much right underneath. But, you know, sustained a 12-play drive, that's good. I mean, obviously, again, not playing against the toughest competition. But he, I mean, everything I've seen from him, whatever he gets in there, has continued to be positive. Macon, what a start. First career yeah. pass, you know, 65-yard touchdown. I, if I were him, I might have just hung it up right there. But like, coach, I'm done. I don't want to go back in. But, uh, no, see, I mean, you know, it was a good throw. It really was. Oh, yeah. He had, you know, a dart that hit him right in stride, right in the right spot, so he could, you know, so Chandastra could keep running. Um, other than that, you know, he did, wasn't asked to show too much. He had that one ball batted down where he kind of tried to throw sidearm, which I think is probably one of those habits that, you know, you could get away with in, you know, Illinois high school football that the coaching staff is going to have to beat out of him a little bit here if they want him to uh, play in the SEC. But, you know, both good, but I'm not going to, um, you know, I'm not going to say I learned too much about either player from yesterday. I was a little surprised that Cook didn't get another series, but maybe it was because, hey, it went. 12, 13 plays. So, right. hey, we've seen enough. Yeah. We want to make sure we get making a, a, a similar number of snaps. Right, yeah. At the point that each had played one series, Cook had played 12 snaps and Macon had played three. So I think right. they just, yeah, wanted to let Macon play another. And maybe also, too, you know, Brady Cook played last year. So they have some, you know, some evidence of what he can do in a game. Tyler Macon has never played in a college game before. So give him the chance to, uh, you know, play a few more snaps. And, and my guess is just based on the fact that Brady Cook played first, should something happen where Connor Bazelak has to leave a game or miss a game? I'm assuming it's Brady Cook that is the quarterback. Yeah, not just based off that, but just based off of, I mean, you know, we've been around some camp practice stuff. I mean, every time they line up in order and, or, you know, go through first team, then second team, it's been Brady Cook, the next man out there. So, yeah, I assume so as well. So that, that kind of wraps that up. Uh, Tyler, or, uh, yeah, Tyler Beatty actually fell from first to sixth in the country in scrimmage yards because he only played like a quarter and a half. He only took 20 snaps. So uh, he's, he's going to, but, I, Look, I think the biggest thing out of this, and I talked about this on the postgame show yesterday, Missouri didn't have a single defensive starter that played 30 snaps. They didn't have, I think, a single offensive starter that saw the field in the second half. They basically just had a week off headed into Boston College in the SEC schedule. Yeah. Yeah, I did. They had one one offensive starter play more than 50 snaps, and that was Connor Wood, who's not actually even really a starter because he was starting in place of Case Cook. But yeah, no, Tyler Beatty even talked about that in the post game and talked about someone who that's beneficial for because, you know, we've obviously beaten to death how how much of a workload he's gotten and how he's been touching the ball 25 times a game. You know, he said, like, look, I feel great. I'm fresh. I could go, go play again right now because, you know, he only touched the ball, what, 11 times? So. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's definitely a beneficial thing. Connor Connor Basilak said, you know, he was he was hurting pretty bad after that Kentucky game, which anyone who watched the game at the end could see. So, getting those two guys some rest and you know uh, everyone else as well is uh, is definitely you know something that I like. You said I think can be underestimated at times, but can be beneficial. And I think you you uh, posted this that basically Drinkwood said that Rakestraw and Cook could have played yesterday if they needed to play. Yeah, yeah, that's what he said. He said he thought they probably both could have gone. Um, they'll see how they're doing Tuesday's practice, but he, he would expect both to be back out there next week. And then the last thing, because I, I'm obviously not on at the postgame press conference, um, put in context for me exactly how Eli Drinkwood said he told Connor Basilak to cut that crap out about acting hurt all the time. <laughs> oh, he, he was a joking tone. He was like, 
he was like, man, I think Connor's out here trying to get an NIL deal for acting. You know, the way he's wallowing around after he gets hit, everyone's freaking out about it. He's like, I asked him if he's all right. And he's like, yeah, I'm just putting on. And I'm like, cut that crap out. So <laughs> okay. that, that's my best impression of the quote. So it's a joke, but he doesn't say it if there's not some truth to it. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I do think that, you know, he's trying to avoid getting some heat for, like, having his quarterback take hits against Simo, yeah. maybe a little bit there. Um, but, yeah, uh, downplaying it in a joking manner, being entertaining, as he generally is. And I, I do think, I mean, like, clearly Basilak was hurting on that one little stretch where he uh, had a couple over overthrows, but he looked fine after that. He, he went back in the game, and I didn't see him messing with his hand anymore after that, so I'm, I'm sure he's fine. Well, we will uh, hit you, hit the rest of college football here in a minute. Um, real quick, want to remind you about True Sun Exteriors and Interiors. And here's something that I never thought would ever again in college football be something that was relevant. Sometimes it's really hard to count to four, apparently. And a bad re remodel and choosing the wrong construction company can feel like losing by a fifth down. Or if you're James Franklin punting on third down. It's a gut punch that nobody should have to deal with. It happens all the time. Save yourself the heartache. Call the guys over at True Sun Exteriors and Interiors, a local company with hometown pride that cares about your experience. 573-442-7292. And Mitch, I know you probably didn't see that happen or the catastrophe of errors that really was the officiating in the Penn State-Auburn game. I mean, two just horrendous uh, intentional grounding calls, a, a first down that, that Penn State clearly got by like at least half a yard that they marked a yard short of the stick, making Penn State punt on third down. All those went against Penn State, and Penn State still won the game. I was actually pretty impressed. Yeah, I actually got to watch the second half of that game. It was, it was a good game, cool atmosphere. But, yeah, no, the officiating was definitely not kind to the uh, home crowd, even though, you know, like you would expect, if, if any time officiating is going to, you know, give someone some home cooking, it would be maybe when they have 100,000 right. screaming people in the stands. But that was not the case last night. No, I think it was an SEC crew. Um, and I, I'm still not sure how good Auburn is, although they might have the best one-two running back uh, duo in the country. I think I had picked them like fifth in the SEC West. I think they've got a decent chance to be better than that, just on, on Tank Bigsby and the other guy whose name I don't remember. Yeah, no, Hunter uh, was his last yeah. name. I don't remember. Jarquez or uh, something, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, the, the West is still tough because, you know, Ole Miss looks really good. Obviously, Bama's really good. And, you know, uh, LSU looks a little bit better. So I don't know where they'll fall in that pecking order. But Auburn looks definitely better than I expected so far. Um, you know, I, I was pretty impressed with what I saw last night. Just ability to sustain drives. They had a couple really long drives where they marched down and were able to to punch it in. So, yeah, I know that, that was a good game. And, yeah, I think they're, they're a decent team. And, you know, Brian Harson is making people forget about his uh, preseason issues. Yeah. Um, staying in the state, um, I don't know if Alabama is suddenly vincible or if Florida <laughs> is uh, Florida is better than I thought they were or if that was just a matter of – like, look, I've been to the swamp and I've walked away thoroughly unimpressed every time. I, I've never thought it was cool, but I have to admit I've never been in the swamp like that. That was right. cool. Yeah, I, we may have lost your audio for a second there. I'm not sure. Okay. It may just be on my end. But uh, I, I heard most of what you had to say. Yeah, <laughs> it definitely looked like a great environment. Um, you know, it, it – uh, I mean, yeah, that I think probably what's underestimated is the fact that, you know, Alabama and everyone else – 
as we had talked about, we kind of beat the storyline to death when Mizzou went into Kentucky. You know, teams hadn't faced a true road environment in a while. And so fans were fired up for that. And that was going to be a little bit of an adjustment for a lot of teams. And so, yeah, I think it's kind of one of those things where, you know, the fans can can make a big difference and kind of will their team back into it. I will say for as much as people, you know, don't like Dan Mullen around here as a result of last year's uh, yeah. little uh, fray, a little, little fight at halftime, he's a good coach. And he, he always finds a way to play. I feel just about always finds a way to play Alabama tough. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I definitely didn't get to watch any of that game. But, uh, you know, yeah. kind of kind of nice to, to know that maybe Alabama could be beaten. Right. The, the rest of the SEC, um, Kentucky put on a – hell of a show after uh, beating what what was that that's just the perfect illustration that football makes no sense uh, and that you know in college football like you said one week does not translate to the next whatsoever yeah um they they did survive so i guess nothing else really matters but um i don't know mississippi state got beat by memphis uh, the the one other game that i think is at least noteworthy Uh, A lot of people thought, hey, we think maybe Central Michigan is pretty good and they're going to go into Baton Rouge and compete. And they ran for 12 yards. So that was (laughs) something, you know? Yeah, I mean, like, Mizzou's run defense isn't good. You didn't need me to to tell you that. You knew that. Um, I will say, like, I'm sure, you know, know, like I just said, you can't use the transitive property. You can't say all of a sudden, like, oh, my gosh, Central Michigan is not as good as we thought. And because they played Mizzou close, we're doomed. Like, you know, LSU obviously is, is you know, Ed O'Drum's going to have that team fired up to try to save his job. And they have more talent than Mizzou, frankly. And so if they play are, you know, fired up, they're going to be able to do that to a team like Central Michigan. I, yeah. I wouldn't read too much into that. But, yeah, obviously, uh, you know, Ed O's trying to keep his job for at least a little longer. So just kind of finishing up, I want to run through what I think actually might make for an entertaining season because, like, the following teams are in the top ten, and I don't know if they're any good. I don't know if Ohio State's any good. I don't really know if Clemson's good. I don't know if Oklahoma's all that good. Iowa is a great half team, but, like, they're winning by blowouts, and and they can't even move the ball. Um you know, I think Cincinnati's good, but they got to go to Notre Dame. I mean, is this maybe the year somebody different gets in the playoff? I I, I want to think so. Yeah, I mean, like you know, probably not when it all right. comes back down to it. I mean, like Cincinnati could, you know, they could go eleven. I I, I feel like they'll get in if they go twelve or thirteen and zero, but they're probably but they have like to go thirteen and. Right. They're probably going to go like 12 and one, even if they beat Notre Dame, lose someone else and, and, you know, find a way to get left out. Like, Mm -hmm. and, you know, yeah, Clemson's a bad team, but they don't play any good. Clemson's not as good as they usually are. I shouldn't say they're a bad team, but they don't play anyone good. So they'll probably still somehow win out. Like, it'll probably work its way back to the normal teams, but it's kind of fun right now. Yeah, there's definitely no clear cut best team and there's no clear cut like here's the four or five best teams. You know, in the end, it's probably a collision course between Alabama and Georgia and and both will probably end up getting in the playoff i wouldn't be surprised if they play in both the sec title game and the you know overall title game but uh yeah it's kind of fun you know i mean oregon obviously very relevant right now mm-hmm. um you know you got a few others that that are you know penn state obviously iowa like you mentioned who are you know flawed but are, are yeah. still very much in the running to win their league so it, it's better than we were at this point are at this point in a lot of years yeah you see how Oh, uh, no, never mind. No, nah, for, eh. Forget about that. That happened, uh, I don't know, sometime well after midnight. I did not see it until this morning. But uh, so it, obviously this is football heavy this time of year. Um, but I think worth touching on at least uh, Missouri 
gets a basketball commitment from the number 57 player in the country, Aiden Shaw, on Friday. And, uh, I mean, look, that's a big deal. I, I wrote on Friday, and we talked a little bit last week, this is what Missouri fans have been asking for, and now you got it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, definitely reason to be excited. I mean, you know, fairly local kid, <clears throat> top 60 player in the country with a, a really high ceiling who I think fits what Kansa Martin wants. You know, a guy who can defend one through five and, you know, can can stretch the floor a little bit from a wing position. So um, I, I definitely don't think he's going to be able to come in. And, and we talked about this last week, come in and average, you know, 10 and eight or anything like that. I think that's probably unrealistic. I think he's, you know, a guy who's going to take a year or two in the program to develop into what you want him to be. But I still think there's reason to be excited now you just want to you know get more guys like that you right. got to surround him with some other talent and that's the uh, next challenge on the docket for the coaching staff yeah, and getting guys like this who look to be three four-year players you know it should avoid like I think one of the things that you can not Conzo Martin for is okay we understand the first total rebuild but like now it's the second total rebuild in year four so getting more guys like Aiden Shaw means you shouldn't be in a situation where you're adding nine guys in another three years. Right. Yeah. I think Mizzou should use the transfer portal to its advantage. I think that helps a school like Mizzou that, you know, maybe isn't recruiting the, the flashiest kids right away. And a guy like Conzo Martin, who's able to, to, you know, relate to kids and have this relationship, but maybe not, you know, isn't the flashiest in recruiting and say, well, look, maybe you saw what the flashier school did for you. That said, you can't rely on it. You can't try to overhaul your roster with the transfer portal every year. I think a good plan would be, you know, something like taking three high school prospects and a transfer two and two in a given year. So, uh, yeah, I mean, basketball season, I don't know, practice starts in, I don't know, actually pretty soon, like a couple weeks, I think, right? Yeah, something like that. Early October, yeah. Mid-November, two months. Season about six, seven weeks away. So we'll get to it eventually. Um, We'll wrap it up with uh, we are we're taking Wednesday and the five seven three report off this week. We we have one built in by week for every show, and and this is the week off on Wednesday. So uh, we won't talk in this particular format again before um, you jet off to Boston. Uh, I don't know, BC totally different team than we thought they were going to be three weeks ago they won 28 to 3 and threw for 34 yards this weekend and like they run for a decent number of yards but they don't really have one guy that gets them and I mean you want to talk about a team that hadn't played anybody they played Holy Cross UMass and and Temple and this ain't John Chaney's Temple you know yeah, no, that's what I was just going to say. I mean, I don't know. I really don't know anything about Boston College, and that's not just because I haven't had a chance to watch them. It's because they haven't played anyone decent, and they're playing a quarterback who, you know, has not not played very much. Like, you know, they, they have a good offensive line, which could definitely give Missouri trouble. Um, but, yeah, I don't I don't really know what to expect. Obviously, we'll talk to, um, you know, Steve Wilkes and company on Tuesday, and we'll talk to uh, talk to some players and Eli Drinkwitz during the week as well, and I'm sure they'll have, you know, they'll praise them as the greatest well, most well-coached football I, team ever, very fundamentally yeah. sound, good on special teams, et cetera, et cetera. Physical, multiple formations. They really run to the ball. Um, they like to be balanced on offense, keep you on your toes, mm-hmm. all, all that stuff. Yeah, but um, I, I think this now suddenly is the pivotal game in the season because I think we started the year saying you're probably not sweeping Kentucky and BC, but you don't want to be swept by Kentucky and BC because I really do think if they lose to BC, they're going to come back for that Tennessee game. And a lot of the wind is going to be out of the sails of the fan base, whether it should be or not is another discussion. But I think if you come back three and one, uh, 
and you've got Tennessee coming in, it, you know, you still got a good look at five and one when A&M comes in and, and really building this thing. So I do think it's important that Missouri goes up and, and not just kind of looks decent, but wins the game. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like, it's not the end of the world if they don't win. Seven wins, obviously, still very much on the table if that happens. And, you know, no one's going to crush you for losing a road game against a, a solid team. But, yeah, I think, one, it's looking a lot more winnable than it was, you know, a couple weeks ago, <clears throat> excuse me, before the Phil Jacobic injury. And, two, you didn't win the game at Kentucky. You know, I think the goal was always to kind of sweep one those two road games early in our season, and you could feel pretty good about yourself and, you know, look at the possibility of trying to win eight games. And so if you want that on the table, you want to, like you said, continue to uh, build excitement before this three-game homestand, yeah, it would be uh, good to go up there and come out with a win. Also, I, I reminded myself of this uh, earlier when I was talking about what coaches say about their opponents, and I, I promised myself I wouldn't get through this show without mentioning that I was pretty disappointed that Simo didn't block a kick. I mean, Eli yeah. Drinkwitz talked about them, like, every kick is in peril. I thought I thought they were going to block every Mizzou kick. <laughs> well, they, they only had a chance to block one punt, so I, I know That's that. True. There weren't many, but um, all right, man, well, enjoy uh, what, I don't know, for now, maybe our last true road game of the year for a while, so uh, have fun in Boston, and, and we'll talk to you. All right, Mitchell Forty uh, joining us, and he will be uh, live on location, as they say, in Chestnut Hill for you guys this weekend. Um, I will be here at the home base uh, with with full coverage. Sean Williams is going to join me tomorrow right here for the Tuesday Tiger Recruiting Show. Again, we'll take Wednesday off. Um, and then Andy Backstrom from Eagle Action going to join me on Thursday to break down BC. We'll have the pick show Friday. So we'll be here all week long. Uh, Mitch, will have uh, all of your coverage on the site. Thanks for watching, and uh, we'll be back another time.